This is the My Top 10 TV Podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Powell, TV producer and sometime radio host, and I welcome you to a brand new podcast, My Top 10 TV. A stunningly simple idea, a headline guest each week is invited to compile their top 10 TV shows of all time, and we chat through each of them and discover why these shows have made it onto their top 10, and most importantly, which TV show they have chosen as their number one. This week, we have TV reviewing royalty. He is the entertainment director of Heat Magazine, contributing editor of Empire Magazine, and host of Pilot TV Podcast. It is, of course, the one, the only, Mr. Boyd Hilton. Good afternoon, Boyd, and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Simon. Uh, Very kind of you, and it's a pleasure. Cheers, thank you. You are listening to my Top 10 TV Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, okay, then, so let's start off with your uh, number 10. Uh, my number 10 is Queer as Folk, um, Russell T. Davis's 1999 uh, original, because there's subsequently um, two American versions of it, one um, this year, last year, I think. Um, I had to include something from Russell T. Davis, basically, because um, I think he is the greatest uh, British drama writer of the last couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there's it's kind of a personal story for me, because... Queer Respect was one of the first um, uh, TV shows that I wrote about for Heat magazine when I got the job at Heat in 1999, same year, uh, 20, nearly 25 years ago. I know, scary, um, isn't it? Very scary, yeah, terrifying. Um, so I went to, the, there was a launch of it in um, in the West End, in London's glittering West End, at a cinema which now no longer exists in, in Piccadilly Circus. And um, basically, I thought it was instantly brilliant. I thought it was funny, daring you know, um, uh, slick, very slick. It kind of looked great. Very kind of um, uh, kind of 90s vibe to it, kind of um, neon lit, you know, and uh, made the most of the Manchester locations, etc. And had a really fascinating core of characters at the centre of it. It did. Um, but anyway, yeah, it did, yeah. Anyway, uh, at this press launch, mm-hmm. all of the... The, the, all the tabloids were there, the Daily Mail and the Sun, and they they expressed reporters from those papers, particularly expressed their kind of question, Russell, um, about the the uh, daring nature of the show, the sex scenes in the show, basically, and they were very vocally negative about it. You know, they were basically giving him a really hard time about the whole thing, and I just thought it was. I just put my hand up and asked him about, you know how he the writing of the show and the creative element of the show and how good it looked and everything and how funny I thought it was and it's amazing he, it's amazing his off. journey really because I think I, I was I was I was working in television at the time and, and there was a great buzz about it because we knew it was coming and, and it was mm. Russell T Davis but he was kind of classed almost as the enfant terrible at the time you know kind of sort of you know kicking down you know convention and all of that kind of stuff uh, but now he's he is kind of TV royalty now just because of what he's been able to do and the kind of the waves that he's caused and the shows he's been involved in he's he's yeah. he's, he's, he's a fantastic inspiration yeah, completely. And I think, you know, it was it was a toss up for me between Queer's Folk and um It's a Sin. And I think It's a Sin is 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 another of, of his masterpieces. It may be his you know, his kind of um enduring classic uh show. But for me, Queer's Folk, because for me it was it, met, it was this incredible occasion. And um Russell then mentioned it um when he was on Desert Island Disc recently that I was the journalist, the only journalist who kind of stood up for the show. So it, it has yeah, so it has a brilliant um a brilliant place in my own history as a journalist really and it's just a fantastic show it was you know it was it was the um i think that we there was a there was a kind of talk about it at the edinburgh tv festival a couple of years ago and russell was there 
and I rewatched it and it's just still so vibrant and fun and daring and sexy and all of that um, to this day. So yeah, it's a brilliant show. That's fantastic. And a fantastic program to kick off your top 10 as well. So brilliant. So we'll move on to your, um, your number nine pick. Yeah, well, it's still keeping with Russell T. Davis, obviously. Um, <laughs> there is, there is a, there's a vein of, uh, yeah. of originality. A, yeah. So obviously, Cruise Circle was Russell's own show that he created and wrote himself. And, you know, no one else could have written it. Um, of course, Doctor Who is referenced in Queer Folk because, um, you know, they talk about the show and one of the main characters is a Doctor Who fan. Obviously, uh, Russell couldn't. I don't think Russell's ever written anything that doesn't have some kind of Doctor Who reference in it. No. Um, but when he got... But I've, I love Doctor Who growing up as as well, like he did. Um, and it's probably the show I first remember really watching, I think. Um, I probably watched John Pertwee, um, you know, when it was the kind of first Doctor I remember vividly um and arriving on tv and i kind of loved it from the start really from the first time i ever watched a john pertwee episode so it's always had a massive place uh, in my in my heart and um i'm not one of those people who kind of rewatches it religiously you know i'm not i'm not like there are community there's the doctor who fan community oh yeah that we say is yes, yes you're not yeah it's <laughs> it's hardcore and you know they they will debate you know the ins and outs and the lore of doctor who Browsing. I'm not one of those persons, but I am absolutely a, a, a huge lover of the show. And then when Russell T. Davis came in, in his dream job, to relaunch the show um, with Billy Piper, etc., um, it was just a, such an exciting moment, really, for me, because I thought, well, you're getting the best British TV drama writer to work on this fantastic show. And it, and it didn't let me down. You know, it's proved to be brilliant. I loved Russell's episodes i love stephen moffat's episodes uh, and the whole the new who era has been wonderful i think and i've loved the way it's got more and more sophisticated more and more you know uh well made um and all the doctors the choices of all the doctors have been fascinating so yeah doctor who love it my i think my favorite almost kind of splinter of doctor who was um i think it was called adventures in time and space and it's uh, mark gattis yeah. wrote, it was kind of yep. the creation of doctor who and how it happened that's a fantastic program if people haven't yeah, seen brilliant. that go on i play it because it is absolutely brilliant totally brilliant right. well that's fantastic I can't, I can't agree more with that so i think we're on to your number eight number eight is um a friend of russell t davis's uh, i believe um wrote this about i know for a fact um uh sally wainwright yeah. Who I've I've followed Sally Wainwright's shows going back to At Home with the Braithwaites, which was one of the um in the early days of Heat Again. Uh, and I wrote about that show and interviewed her a couple of times. Um but when Happy Valley came along um a few years ago, eight years ago, maybe nine years ago. Um I think it's nine, yeah. Nine, yeah. Of course it was the big six, seven year gap between series yeah. two and three. Yeah. Um it was such a um brilliant surprise. I mean she She'd worked on crime drama before, but this was something different. You know, this was the most um, realistic, authentic, plausible depiction of a community um, in the North kind of affected by an evil figure in their midst. And this character, um, uh, Catherine Kaywood, police sergeant Catherine Kaywood, played by Sarah Lancashire, is just one of the greatest characters of all time, I think. You know, she's so funny clever normal and yeah extraordinary and the whole the whole setup of her you know her daughter uh taking her own life because of what happened to her and how she was attacked by um this evil man tommy 
um, played by James Norton. The whole setup is so clever. But then to spin it off into with there's a different kind of sideways cases in each each of the three series, and then to wait for those seven years for the final series because she wanted to wait for her the character of her grandson to grow up to be you know to have his own agency etc. That just worked so phenomenally well. And each the the third series that that was this year came you know arrived this year. It's just one of the greatest six episodes of TV drama ever. I think. I think it was one of those sort of epochal moments that you you wanted it to be good you hoped it would be good and then you had that opening scene when she's in that kind of you know sort of the reservoir where the water's run out and there's a body there and she basically solves it within about five minutes as she's walking away talking over the back yeah towards the two basically numbskull coppers at the back it was just absolutely peerless and i think from a from a again from a woman's central role, I think it was absolutely fantastic. The the the, the chemistry that she has with her sister in the show, I just think, is incredible. Um, yeah. Tommy Royce has to be one of the most despicable baddies ever, you know. The, and, and just the whole dynamic is great. So I've got actually three questions for you on this. Um, mm. So, do you think that Catherine Kay was the greatest British female character ever? Yes, I yes. do. Yes, I would say yep. so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and do you think that it's just going to absolutely wipe the board in the BAFTAs next year? Uh, I, I do, yeah. I'm hoping it will, because I think, yeah. I, you know, very often third series really don't live up to the expectation or the previous two. And again, it's one of these, I have a massive problem with shows not being able to deliver the end that you want. And as far mm. as I was concerned, Happy Valley just did. It was just, it was just, oh yeah, it was just perfect. Yeah, one of the greatest endings as well. Yeah, one of the greatest female TV cat British characters, and one of the greatest endings, and just a just a phenomenal piece of work. Yeah. Okay, so moving on, I think we're on to your number seven. Yes, this is I'm Alan Partridge. The main problem. I, so first of all, Alan Partridge is the talking of you know the pantheon of characters. Alan Partridge is the greatest comedy character in in, in TV history, I, I think, um, American and British. Um, wow, so that's a big call. It, oh yeah. Yeah, the only other contender for me is probably David Brent, I think, in terms mm. of comedy characters. Who, who, um, but Alan Partridge is an incredible creation. And going back to the day-to-day where he first appeared on TV, he was on radio before that. Um, and I've followed every single iteration of Alan Partridge's TV and radio career. Um, and the only question for me is which Alan Partridge, which version of Partridge would I would I go for? Because yeah. um, I love Mid Morning Matters. You know, there was, he, he took a break for quite a long time. Alan Partridge, while Steve Coogan did loads of other stuff, went to yeah. Hollywood, did films, etc. Then he came back with Mid Morning Matters, which was more pure Alan it was, yeah. than really the Nine Alan Partridge, the sitcom. And then there's you know been other iterations after that, which I've loved. Um, but I do think when it comes down to it, the sitcom was is the kind of Partridge that will be rem- he will be remembered for forever. Um, that and the version that's given us more incredibly memorable incidents you know smell my cheese dan dan where he's calling for dan in the car park um than any other so it, it's just such a legendary show and i must have watched it like a hundred times at least and the, 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 there are there are jokes and there are setups in there that you miss and then you see it in, yeah. a, in a different time yeah. i mean it's it's just it's the level of the writing that I, I find amazing because they because they can mine that character and they know him so well. There's that mm. amazing bit where somebody comes in and says, "You know, has anybody got a, a brown a brown Toyota?" And he just goes, "It's a coffee coloured Lexus." And you're just like, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. "That exactly sums up the yeah. man that he has to be that pedantic about something." Yeah. It's just it's just great. And obviously, the time you know him having to live out of a Linton Travel Lodge was just you know in his twelve inch plate. I mean, it's just it yeah. is the whole yeah. thing's genius. Yeah, yeah. Almost every single scene is like a classic 
moment of comedy so yeah um it is it's phenomenal yeah it's it's one of the greatest sitcoms of all time and it's but it's alan it's all about alan it's all about steve coogan's performance and that character who has become this just unbelievably rich character now you know with the books and the podcasts and the you know the tv shows it's just i, I can't get enough of alan so yeah cool okay right oh this is i can't wait to hear you talk about this so uh your next one off the your next cab off the rank yeah, well, this is so recent that I thought, you know, I mean, it's tempted to go even higher, but I've, I've put it at number whatever it is, um, uh, six, yeah, yeah. six, yeah. Uh, six session. It has to be on there. You see, I just as by way of explanation, people are people. Would, you know, if anyone cares that much, um, what I think, but people are going to go, well, there's no Sopranos, there's no Six Feet Under, there's no Breaking Bad, there's no Better Call Saul, there's no Mad yeah. Men, and there's no what's the other one? I'm forgetting. Um, the Wire. Right. Those yeah. are the kind of like you know. That in the pantheon of American TV dramas, yeah, these are the, these are the columns that everything else yeah. is built on. Right, it's 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 the canon, you know, yeah. as we call it. And every pole, you know, in every, I mean, Game of Thrones probably will get in there maybe now as well, particularly fantasy fans. But anyway, what I'm trying to say in this long-winded way is, <laughs> all, I appreciate the brilliance of all those shows, but I think there's, I always there's no point in you know droning on about those and to be honest this list is a list of shows that i rewatched and yeah. will, will rewatch repeatedly yeah. and i think i'll rewatch succession more than the sopranos you know which which may well arguably be the greatest tv drama of all time so mm. that's why those aren't in there and why this is in there i think succession because it's so funny because it's written by writers created and written by writers who started out in tv comedy yeah obviously jesse armstrong worked on peach etc and his whole gang worked on the thick of it and all of yeah. those it's so relentlessly funny and dramatic and moving and scary and all of those things. And because it just, it taps into the stakes are so high, you know, it's this family is so rich and powerful, you know, they can, I think the brilliance of, of a lot of succession is at first you're like, why should we care about these horrible? Yeah, Cause there's no one to like. Yeah, there isn't ostensibly. And yet yeah. you want to, sp- I do want to spend time with them. <laughs> that's, that's the dichotomy yes. I don't think like isn't the word but I do really get on with mm. them in their company you know mm. I kind of love being in their company so that's an interesting kind of slightly subtle difference I guess um, but the, the consequences of their actions are so huge they're, you know, it's no surprise that there are episodes where they're affecting the who's going to be the next president of the United States for example mm. much as Fox News in America and Murdoch you know etc one of the characters on whom clearly this show is based um actually does happen you know the effect of fox news on american politics has been enormous yeah so yeah so it's the stakes it's the brilliantly conceived characters it's the perfect casting every single person is you cannot imagine anyone else in all of those roles yeah and and you're talking about delivering sticking the landing delivering an ending well the finale i just thought was oh. just Jaw dropping, just yeah, brilliant, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I think kind of my favourite character dynamic has to be uh, Greg and Tom, just because they. I mean, they. Yeah. Are, it's almost like the modern day Laurel and Hardy. I mean, they're yeah. just. I mean, yeah. even though kind of Tom is just, he is the ultimate gutter snipe. He's the ultimate greasy pole climber. Um, it's. I just. I just loved it because effectively their relationship was just trying to work out what on earth they were going to do next. They, they, they kind of. They. They lived in this almost. Boris Johnson esque, right? I'll say what I need to say now. It doesn't really matter what happens tomorrow, kind of thing. And and the way that they encapsulate that with the two of them is, I just thought was genius. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it, and it had everything that finale. You know, it had it had incredibly moving scenes, funny scenes, the, the whole bit in you know when they're in Barbados with their mum, the mum, and the all of that. 
the tension was just, was palpable. just incredible. Yeah. yeah it was. So um yeah, it's 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 a work of genius. And I think I think over the years, you know, it's it is because it's so recent, it's difficult to 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 work out where it's gonna fit into this, you know, everyone's idea of what the best TV shows are. But I don't think there's any doubt it's going to be up there. It's going to be up Absolutely. there somewhere. Absolutely. And yeah. it's one of the very few shows that, you know, you could listen to any talk-based radio station and they would all talk about it because mm. it kind of was a little snapshot into some of the media world, but just the whole family dynamic. And talking of that, actually, because obviously you mentioned about Murdoch, for me, it kind of has some echoes of the Trump family. Oh, yeah. Massive. Yeah. Completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, because, I mean, a total narcissist anyway. Yeah. Well, and also he doled out jobs to his kids yeah. and his yeah, completely yeah yeah, yeah. The, the the um yeah the machinations are, are, are it's very Trumpian yeah yeah sure. absolutely, um now we're going on to a show and I have to admit I'm I'm pretty much across most things I didn't know about this show at all so introduce us to your number five yeah this is probably the most I mean least well known show in my in my list the leftovers this is which is created by Damon Lindelof. Of Lost fame, one of the one of the co-creators of Lost, um, and uh, Tom Perotta, who wrote the original novel on which it's based. Um, he also wrote um, Election, Little Children. He's a fantastic um, American novelist. But the whole concept of the leftovers, the leftovers, kind of um, arrived. It's an HBO show. I mean, HBO just you know they they make most of the best TV really. Yeah. I would say American TV hmm. um, still to this day, and. Um, it was shown on Sky, um, and I didn't really watch it as it first, when it first went out. Put it that way, um, years ago. What year was it? Two thousand fourteen. Mm. So nearly ten years ago now. It looked a bit. It looked a bit earnest to me from the trailer, and you know, it's the the, the concept is that um, this is a world where two percent of the world's population disappear one day in a global event known as the sudden departure, and it's all about what would happen to people's daily lives if such a thing happened. And of course, this is way before the pandemic, you know, um, way before um, the, the the effect that the pandemic, I would say, has had on us. One, one element of which is the rise of conspiracy theories yeah. and the rise of almost cult-like devotion to leaders like Boris Johnson and Donald Trump hmm. and the, the kind of crackpot beliefs that they trot out. Yeah. Leftovers touches on all of this. Leftovers, the Leftovers has... Um, an incredibly acute analysis of how such an extreme global trauma would affect people. And there's there's like there are cults emerge, kind of really scary, terrifying cults. Um, some of them Christian, some of them not. And the brilliant thing about the way the story is told is that it just plays out without really explaining um, as it goes on why everyone's how these things came about. You're just you're plunged right in the middle of the situation where everyone has been affected. Everyone knows someone who's just disappeared or is a friend of a friend. And it goes off into the most wild, wild um, ima- flights, fleets of, flights of imagination. Um, it's three series. The first series is fairly, only quite straightforward in the sense that it's kind of grounded in a, 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 a daily reality, a, sense, yeah. a version of our reality, albeit in which this event happened. But then it goes totally off. It goes wild in series two. It goes to Australia in series three. I won't go into why. And the cast, <laughs> Justin Thru is the lead, is the main character. He's this guy who was a cop and has to kind of, is some kind of figure of responsibility and law and order. It, it has to maintain some element of law and order within this quite anarchic now post-departure society. Christopher Eccleston's in it as a, as a kind of um, priest-like figure, religious mm-hmm. figure. 
Liv Tyler, Carrie Coon, who's brilliant in everything, and Dowd, who's been amazing in everything. Anyway, everyone in it is astonishing. It's one of the most ambitious and powerful things I've ever seen on TV. So that's why it's so it's in my top ten. Yeah, and it's wow. it's it's just I think once you get into it, it's one of those shows that you just have to keep on watching it. Well, you've totally sold it, and anybody else hasn't seen that, you can catch that on Watch if you've got a premium subscription and all three seasons are there. So, excellent. That sounds great. You are listening to my Top 10 TV podcast. Send us your Top 10 TV shows, list them from 10 to 1, and we will read out the best. Uh, moving on to your number four choice. The top four could have been in any order, really, I have right. to say. This is the OA, and um, as any any regular listener to, to my um, pilot TV podcast that I do, that I co-host, will know is um, I'm completely obsessed with the OA um, <laughs> and this is a Netflix show um, that uh, was created by Britt Marling and Zell Batmanlidge who are kind of friends since college. Britt Marling stars in it in the lead role as Prairie Johnson. It's a wildly odd, mad, insanely inventive and unpredictable thing it's part mystery, it's part science fiction, it's part supernatural fantasy, kind of religious allegory, or just a flat-out religious story, in a way. Mm. Um, it's very difficult to describe, but all, but all you need to know is that um, the the initial premise is that Britt Marling's character has disappeared, has been missing from her small-town community in America for seven years. She, re- she arrives back, and she can see, despite the fact she was blind before she disappeared. So something miraculous has happened to her. She then kind of spreads her miraculousness to among members of the local community. She seeks out a group of in the local community and tries to impart her story to them and what it means to in, into the wider universe. It's very, it's spectacularly mad. There's talking octopuses. <laughs> there's, um, there's all sorts. There's a dance, this kind of weird dance that people do, which has a kind of effect on physics, etc. I I mean, I won't even go into it. And um, the great Jason Isaacs is in it. Um, and well, talk, talking of that, because I do know, I remember him having a conversation. He said it's one of his biggest regrets. That it wasn't yeah. in further. The, it's two, only two seasons hmm. and the second eight episodes each. The, finale, the second season finale is one of the most audacious, has one of the most audacious endings in television history. And um, one of my favourite episodes of all time ever. And I, I, one of my greatest days of my life was going on set of series two. Oh wow! Um, in in the woods outside San Francisco, um, being interviewing Brit and Zal, Zal along the way and meeting the cast, etc. Genuinely, one of the greatest That's days amazing. of my professional life. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. just unbelievable. They were so great as well. So yeah, the OA it's it's a it's a unique, absolutely unique piece of work. Fantastic, brilliant! Well, what what a great write up. So your your number yeah, three, it's the Office. It's the UK office, much as great as the American office has been. Um, it's Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais's original. It's just the best British sitcom of all time, I think. I, obviously, I acknowledge Forty Towers and um, Yes Minister and lo- loads of British, great British sitcoms. But The Office is the one that rewards your rewatching. That is just that changed the face of British TV. Yeah, changed the face of TV because every other comedy after The Office is in that faux documentary yes. style. Obviously, it's inspired by things like Spinal Tap, but but every episode is a work of genius. And the finale, where you know Tim and Dawn is resolved, the take that song going on in the background, back for good, back for good, yeah. And yeah, Zoo's only you. Except the music, the wet shot, everything about it is brilliant. And David Brent is one of the two greatest comedy characters of all time, along with Ella Partridge. 
Yeah, and it's machine tooled in terms of how oh. how well it it works, and you know every cog works in its own yeah. way to make this yeah. brilliant machine. And if you think of the cast that came from it as well, I mean, obviously Gervais is just like you know he's a superstar, um, and you know Martin Freeman, Lucy Davis, Mackenzie Crook. There's so many incredibly oh. talented people that came from that production. They were so lucky to get that sort of ensemble at the time. Every single scene in the office, in all in all. 12 plus episodes plus the special are, are, are brilliant. Yeah. And uh, moving on to your numbers, and I have to say, as soon as I saw this in your list, I kind of punched the air because, do you know what? So many people won't be aware of it or haven't seen it, but for me, it, it, it would be definitely in my top 10. So please do tell us. Mm. Well, Dennis Potter, it's Dennis Potter, who's one of the greatest dramatist TV British TV writers ever. It's the senior detective. I think it was just, I, I, all of Dennis Potter's work was was incredible. Um, and I've used that word a lot, obviously. Um, but I think this is his masterpiece because it's and it's also it feels so modern. And you know, every single TV drama now jumps around in time. It's all very meta. It's self-reflective. Well, this is a drama series about a mystery writer called Philip Marlowe, and we see him in hospital being treated for his psoriasis skin condition, yeah. and he's fantasizing about his own character that he also plays in a kind of faulty. 40s film noir style story whilst having flashbacks to his past and his when he was growing up and the things that affected him as a kid and the cast break out into song that they lip sync to classic kind of 30s 40s tunes the whole thing it's just genius. Is wild yeah and, it is. but beautifully written and acted incredibly funny and gripping i think it's the most it's the kind of most um, instantly enthralling of all Dennis Potter's stuff for me. Yeah. And I loved, I loved all his stuff. Blue Remembered Hills was a brilliant um, drama that he created and et cetera. Penish from Heaven. But this is the one. It's got everything. No, it, and it, and it, Michael it, Gambon's signature performance, the greatest, one of his greatest performances ever. Oh, it's totally standout. But if you think about the castle, you know, Patrick Malahide, who was basically, just, you know, he was, the, he was the irascible cop in Minder and then went on to that and then had a fantastic Hollywood career. Joanne Wally, who then became Joanne Wally Kilmer, uh, just yeah, fantastic p people, great performances. I mean, I've had a bit of a love of thirties kind of sing along tunes, mm. and that kind of you know, sort of any umbrellas and all that. Just and brilliant. And also, the time that I was watching it was probably fourteen, fifteen. Really, quite graphic sex scenes, which I quite enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, it, it, yeah, and everything. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was the days when. Yeah, it really. It, it was controversial in its day because it was BBC One Sunday nights, and it was very daring. Lots of sex and nudity and swearing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, excellent my, choice on your number two. So give us your number one choice in TV. My number one has to be Seinfeld. Um, it's been my favourite show for years and years. Um, the only one of the main issues I had was do I pick Curb Your Enthusiasm as well to go in the top ten because um, obviously Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld co-created Seinfeld and then Curb has come along since, which is now on its I think eleventh season has been fantastic as well, and I love it, but. I felt I would have been a bit bit indulgent to have both of those in the top 10. So I've stuck with Seinfeld at number one. I do, I just think it's, I love sitcoms anyway. Um, I love Cheers and Frasier. They would have all been contenders. MASH going back years. The classic American sitcom format, you know, 22, 23, half hours a year was just an astonishing thing. And Seinfeld just pushed back all the boundaries, pushed all the boundaries um, of that format and of that genre so brilliantly, you know, the, it's a classic episode called The Contest about where they will have a masturbation contest, basically. Um, a withholding of, of masturbation, shall we say. Um, it was so daring and um but just the writing from Larry and 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 uh Jerry and their team 
the characters are brilliant. Julia Julia Lou Dreyfus, you know, I could have picked Veep as well in my top ten. She's I love her in that. Mm. But I think Elaine is one of the greatest characters of all time. And I just love it. Yeah, I rewatch it constantly. It's the, my, you know, go-to. You want to be, you know, uplifted or, you know, if you're in a bad mood, if you're annoyed about something, then I'll, I'll pop on a few episodes of Seinfeld. And invariably, it's all on Netflix now. And invariably, um, you know, you just carry on watching it for hours on end. So it never, it, it's, it, it never dates for me. It's, you know, but there was, there was the, odd, the odd episode where, shall we say, the attitudes are um, of their time, like Friends, you know. But it's just wonderful. And even though there are there's 180 episodes and many of them aren't brilliant, some of them, the first, it took a couple of seasons to bed in, I would say. Um, but thankfully, back in the day, they gave TV shows a chance to yeah. get their act together. But from, I would say, season three onwards, it's just astonishing. Because I, I love it. And I think one of the things that always surprises me is so much of the writing and so much of the kind of the scenes that are played out are about mundanity. Mm. And kind of there yeah. isn't an awful lot kind of going on, you know, a lot of the time when he's kind of having those conversations with Kramer in the kitchen or whatever they did. They, I mean, they're absurd because they're absurd characters, but actually the subject matter that they're talking about quite often is kind of, you know, it's about milk or it's about, you know, kind yeah. of, you know, the stove or, or whatever it is. But yeah. I just think they, they've been so generous in terms of how they've written for those characters. And as you say, you know, kind of some of the best, some of the best characters that have appeared in sitcoms, from, especially from an American sitcom, just, just brilliant. Yeah. Well, the very first talking of, you know, yeah, the, the trivia that they discussed, the very first and last scenes of the whole thing are, are them in, in the diner, Jerry and George in the diner, just talking about their buttons on their shirt or whatever it is. Um, yeah, those those moments. Yeah, those moments where there just isn't any particular um, issues at hand. You know, I talked about the high stakes of succession. It's very low stakes in Seinfeld, but, <laughs> but you know, that's what it's all about. It's just brilliant. No learning, no hugging, no div character development, but just those four characters are so, and, and loads so many great sporting characters. And there's one series, by the way, you know, people think, I often think if shows that I myself have this, you know, shows that people go on about and you're like, oh, I can't be bothered to deal with that, get into that. But for me, the, one of the, um, what might sway it for people, if they don't think it's just a standard American sitcom, you know, built around a, a, a stand-up, a stand-up comedian played by Jerry and why should that be interesting well there's a whole series of it built around the plot is that they're creating their own sitcom yes George, George and Jerry which mirrors the creation of the sitcom Seinfeld itself so they were doing this meta stuff yeah. you know yeah. self-referential in a hilarious and incredibly sophisticated way back back in the 90s you know when it was when it was the biggest show on American TV and they just and they just didn't give a shit they just did this stuff that was so clever that's what we're dealing with I think well, I mean, it's 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 completely justified. Number one, it is an, a brilliant show, and has spawned so many sitcoms. I, I particular because the, there was a, an English one that kind of there was a version of a, of a stand-up comedian that was kind of I think it was Robert Bathurst who was in Cold Feet. I think he did a series, a couple of seasons on BBC Two. It didn't quite, obviously, it didn't mm. kick off like Seinfeld did. But if you look at things like Not Going Out, the tropes within that. Are very yeah. similar to the way that even down to kind of those musical interludes and whatever and just kind of you know it's it, it feels as if it kind of has the same yeah. almost kind of dna throughout it um yeah, and it's it's it spawned so many other kind of shows that have that single central character but it's it's the family that kind of lives mm. around him mm. it's just so good and jerry seinfeld even now is still i mean you know he occasionally kind of do stand up and he does his writing and whatever he's still brilliant i think he was wasn't he the first a US sitcom star to get a million dollars an episode? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, his, Seinfeld is one of the most um, uh, uh, kind of productive, money-making 
shows oh, he's in history. Very commercially kinds. savvy, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's been in you know rotation on syndication and now on Netflix. They're saying you know it's it's an, it's, it's an extraordinary thing that something that good, you know, that kind of smart and I full of irony and wit and sarcasm. It became is the biggest show on American television. Yeah. Um, during its during its height, that to me is just amazing. Really, listen, your top ten was absolutely. I loved taking a walk through your favorite TV. It was just brilliant. Just tell me, how difficult was it? Oh, it was really difficult. Yeah, a nightmare basically. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, so many shows. Those I mentioned all those classic shows that I didn't include any of them, and then there's things like Fleabag. It's a, and I recognise as well. It's a very it's a bit male, white male, heavy led show, but that. My only excuse is that I am one of those, and that's what I was growing up, you know. But I'd love to have included, you know, Michaela Cole's show, I Made Destroy, was a contender um, for me. The West Wing I didn't include, which... Wow, of course, My yeah. podcast colleague James would be outraged, and I love it. I absolutely love it. But, yeah, in the end, I just, yeah, it, it was a nightmare, absolute nightmare. Well, it's quite nice to be able to kind of distill these things and see what you, you know, if you kind of, uh, you know, were sort of held to ransom, what would be your top 10? It's it's proved yeah. that it's kind of be quite difficult. Yeah. Thank thank you for being the first person Pleasure. to be brave enough to do it, because it was a, and a fantastic list. As, as I say, apart from maybe one that I wasn't too aware of. Listen, it's been a, a, an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being uh, our first guest on uh, my top 10 TV. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I think uh, your your TV, your TV choices have been superb. Thanks, Simon. Uh, very kind of you, and it's a pleasure for me. Cheers. Thank you. Send us your top 10 TV shows, list them from 10 to 1, and we will read out the best. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, wasn't he just the best? If you've got a My Top 10 TV list to share, head to your on Mute Productions on Threads, Instagram and Twitter, I refuse to call it anything else, and leave us your top 10. So again, I just want to thank Boyd for his amazing top 10, and I shall see you next time for another My Top 10 TV podcast. Bye for now. My Top 10 TV podcast is a Euron Mute original production.